So uh, today I want to preach uh, a message and it comes from uh, a crazy time that we're in and with all that has been going on in the world, I don't think it's any surprise that I've had so many people call me or text me or message me and say, is this really the end? Like, is this the, is this the end of the world as, as we know it? Kevin, are we living in the, the end of times? And when I have heard those folks and I've given my answer to that, there's a couple of things that started coming to my attention during this season that we're in. And it has been a, a crazy year. No one is denying that. It's been a crazy year. But when I hear people asking, is it the end? I hear a great deal of fear in their hearts. And the one thing that I know about God is that he doesn't give us a spirit of fear. But of power and love and a sound mind. And, and, and so there were three things that have been on my heart now for weeks and weeks. And I want to give you these three words. And, and they're kind of dark and depressing words. I'll go and just admit it. Okay, they, they are, they're a little dark. But I, I got to tell you that the Lord has brought me full circle to this thing for this message today. So... Uh, just hold on. Uh, God's coming. Okay? But here are those three words. I think you ought to write them down. One is fear. When, when I see and I hear and I watch reactions, and, and I'm talking to the church because I, that's who I talk to. I, I talk to people who want to know, you know what is in the Word. I talk to people who are part of this body and, and part of you know, supporting this, this ministry. Uh, but even among the church, I, I I see and hear and feel a great deal of fear. The second one is this, a lot of selfishness. A lot of selfishness. Which, by the way, is quite natural if you are operating in a spirit of fear. Because when you operate in a spirit of fear, what fear does is it causes you to turn inward. So you take your attention off of others, and now i got to take care of me and mine. And so fear will cause you to turn inward and will cause you to be selfish. And, and then it kind of determines on where you are in the process that if you are pretty good at what you're doing in terms of taking care of your, yourself, it leads to this third thing, which is called complacency. Complacency. What is complacency? Complacency is when you figure out, well, you know what, I, I got enough food for myself, I I, I got a good job. I've got a place to live. Things are okay with me. I'm just going to let that be. I'm going to leave well enough alone. And it's like I got me taken care of, you know, the rest of the world, where well, they got to take care of themselves. And so those three things have been on my mind, fear, selfishness, and complacency. And I want to dig into some scripture today about where we're getting the notion of these dark conclusions to the end of the world and what that's supposed to do for us, okay? So this is a really unique message for me. It's going to require you to do some additional digging, and we're going to have a lot of verses today. Is that okay? All right, we're just going to have, to have a lot of verses. We've got to get into our Bible today. So many people are caught under this fear that there is this great turmoil of things happening. And I just want us to look at that in Scripture. Some of you believe that and you have no idea where that is in Scripture. <laughs> you just heard it from your grandma or, 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 or the, the person that was a preacher back when you were eight in, in church. 
You don't know where it came from. I think if you're going to believe something, you ought to at least know where to find it in the Bible. But a lot of people are like, you know, it's just going to get worse. And I'm like, is it? Where did you get that? Well, it says it in the Bible. Really? What verse? Well, I don't know. I just think so. <laughs> All right. We got to do better than that. We got to do better than that. Honestly, you can fall wherever you want on this spectrum, and I'll tell you that many people do. You can end up falling wherever, but I think you ought to at least search the Scripture. Otherwise, you just believe in wives' tales, you know? So, Matthew chapter 24 is one of those major places that we need to go. The entire chapter is, is this chapter in which many of us get our end-time theology. And so... I just want to set the groundwork for chapter 24 because when you read Scripture, you ought to read it in context. Amen. So look at the context for the chapter. Jesus came out from the temple. I'm in verse 1, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to, the point, to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. What is the context of this chapter? The context is Jesus is pointing to the temple and he says, you see this thing? It's going to be rubble. Just watch it. What is, what is happening on the earth? There is the destruction of the temple of Israel because there is a coming a day when the Holy Spirit comes where you become the temple. You become the dwelling place of God. And you can't have both on the earth at the same time to create confusion. God has to, to, to end one to establish the other. In an old covenant to start a new covenant, which is, you see that temple? It's going to be destroyed. And then it makes way for this new temple. We are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Are you with me so far? Okay, now that raises some questions with the disciples. In fact, it raises three questions that Jesus spends the rest of the chapter talking about. Here are the three questions. Verse number three. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, I, they, they have these private conversations, which if you follow Jesus closely, you get to have private conversations. You, you get to have private conversations, and you get to get private answers. You get things that other people don't get. When you're willing to sit alone with God. And so they ask him, they're like, what you talking about, Jesus? What? what? What you talking about? Here are their questions. Tell us when all these things will happen. What are the things that will happen? What he just said. The temple's going to be destroyed. They want to know, when's that happening? Question number two. What will be the sign of your coming? What are they asking about? Not his second coming that many of us talk about. They've been looking for a king. They've been misunderstanding this thing all along. They're looking at Jesus going, he's going to come in. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to set up a government. And he's going to reign from Jerusalem. And it's going to be great. Hey, Jesus, when are you going to do that? And Jesus is going to have to explain to them, that ain't even what I'm planning. You don't even have my heart. You don't even know what I'm doing. That's not the kind of reign that I came to establish. And then the last question of this, oh, yeah, and, and when is the end of the world? Or some translations, the end of the, the age. And then Jesus begins to explain in Matthew chapter 24 these signs. Now there's some things that people agree on in Scripture and some things that they don't. And I want to give it to you as honestly as I can. One of the things that we all agree to is this. That Jesus was pointing to the destruction 
of the temple, which would happen in A.D. 70. You're like, oh, Lord, we just went to history class. In A.D. AD 70, the Romans literally destroyed the temple, literally destroyed Israel. And many of the warnings which I am going to leave toward you because I can't preach the entire Bible in any one sermon. So you're going to have to do some work. Is Jesus preparing them to see what's going to happen when that terrible time came that the Rome came in and literally destroyed Jerusalem? And that is a lot of what chapter 24 is about. Now, what many of us have tried to do in studying the end times is we say that these verses have a twofold meaning. That they had one meaning, which was in AD 70 that Jesus was talking about, and it has another which is coming. And that's when all this weird and bad and crazy stuff that it talks about happens. And I'll just say this to close out my summation of Matthew chapter 24. Over toward the end, he says in verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. So when I read this scripture, I believe that most of it is for what happened to Israel. And when we start reading these things, future tense, I wonder if we're not reading it out of context. It's just my question. I'm going to leave that right there. And then, I started looking at, well, where do we get these, you know, these scriptures? Where can I take the folks to to say, okay, these are the scriptures that, that people use when we're talking about things getting bad and going from bad to worse. And, and so if we go over to, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Y'all still with me? We're studying today. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, but uh, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And I read that and it says, some will fall away. But when I hear people talk, they make it sound like everyone's going to fall away. I'm like, that's not what it said. It said some were going to fall away. Now, some of y'all are not pastors, but OD, Pastor D can relate. When you're pastoring, some people are going to fall away, aren't they? Yes, sir. Can I just tell you that, that people are going to fall away? People been falling away. Some come to Christ, and some don't stay. Amen. Some fall away. And I think that is what is being said, is that just like any other time, there are some who are going to fall away. It is a natural part of the, the process. Some just choose not to follow. And then over in 2 Timothy, this one is beloved. <laughs> and it says, let me get to the right. I'm in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. I wonder why it didn't look right. I was in the wrong verse, wrong chapter. Second Timothy chapter 3. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. Kevin, are you about done? No, nope, just getting started. Uh, just, just, just getting started. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. People read those verses and say, man, that's, that's the day in which we live in. And I would say, you're right, but that's the age that my dad lived in. 
and, his grand, and my granddad in the first century church, that there have always been people like that. Notice what it said, avoid such men as these. Tim, uh, this, this is Paul writing, and he's saying to avoid such men as these. He's writing to that current generation, and he's saying there's some bad folks out there. Avoid them. That's good, that's good preaching, isn't it? Yeah, there's bad people. Avoid them. And then he goes on and he says, but they will not make further progress. I'm in verse 9. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all. And I would say to you again, in context, Paul is writing about a matter that is specifically going on in the church. But we take those and we create some wild and crazy stuff. Which draws me back to just one thing that I think we ought to all be careful of, particularly in this day of social media. Can I just give you a, a pastoral warning for us all? First yes, Timothy 4, verse 7. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Now, old women, don't take that personally. <laughs> and there aren't any old women. We have golden embers. We don't have old women. <laughs> But I think that, that that's good advice, especially the day in which we live in. And let me read it to you again. But have nothing to do with worldly fables. That, that there are things being churned out today by social media. And all it is is fables. And all it is meant to do is make you afraid, to make you, uh, to make you anxious, because there's something in us. Do you know why there are no news channels that only report good news? Because bad news sells. If it bleeds, it leads. That's, that's the, the news motto. If it bleeds, it leads. Put the bad stuff on. Why? Because there's something inside of us that when we drive by a car accident, we can't help but look. Is that not true? How many of you have been on the interstate and you know you should watch where you're going? And yet there is an accident and there are lights and you will be driving on an interstate and looking at the car accident going, yep, I know exactly what happened. We can't help but look. We, we, we buy into those things. In fact, I need to get off this real quick, but I, I was watching this, uh, I guess you would call it a documentary. And they took the people who were in the highest levels of engineering and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these different social media platforms. And what they've said is this, you know, that doesn't cost you anything, right? Facebook's free. So you think nothing's free, right? If you ever asked, how is it that I get a Facebook page for free? Because somebody buys ads and that pays Facebook. And Facebook knows by their computers that if they tell you that somebody got saved over here in Chester, South Carolina, nobody's clicking on that. But if they tell you that something bad's happening and you don't know it, and you better wake up to it, you go, oh, Lord, I'm about to be deceived. I better check that thing out. And the computers for those different companies realize that they get more traffic by the more crazy the articles that come through. And I think at some point as Christians, 
we need to look back at 1 Timothy 4, 7 and say, you know what, we ain't playing that game. We're not, we're not playing the game that, that you want us to buy into. We will not take part in worldly fables. We're going to search out the Word of God. And we're going to see what God says. And we're going to stand on that. Now, we got to keep going. So when I lay out those scriptures, and I look at how it is often preached, I find that the church becomes fearful, it becomes selfish, it becomes complacent, and it sits and it holds on and it says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And I don't think that's how we're supposed to be as a church. And so I've got some verses that I want to give you today. Do you mind watching some verses, looking at some verses that I want to give you? That I think that are in context, I believe speak to the age in which they were written and today's age starting in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who am I? And Peter says to him, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says in Matthew 16 verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter. Peter means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Ooh, somebody should have said yes. Somebody should have given a good amen right there. This confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's the rock that the church is built on. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Do you realize that as a church, Satan is not going to defeat the church? He's not going to defeat the church. Can I tell you, this is the late-breaking God channel that says Satan's not defeating the church. And just as a reminder, Satan is not equal to God. You see, sometimes you hear all that junk and that chatter, and you think, oh man, Satan and God are, are, are enemies and foes. Mm -mm. God ain't had no enemy. <laughs> God, God doesn't have enemies. There is no one like our God. There is no one equal to our God. Satan is not equal to God. He is defeated. Can I just remind you, he is a defeated foe. Because of Jesus, Satan is defeated. Oh, by the way, sin is defeated, and so is death, hell, and the grave. Yeah, yeah. The devil cannot stand up against God and his church because of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Matthew 13, chapter 31. I love quick results. I like to see things happen. And then I read Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. And it says this, He presented to them another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like... What's this parable about? Yeah, but, but he's telling them what the, the kingdom is like. He's, he's trying to give them some kingdom awareness. And he says, you want to know how the kingdom functions? This is how the kingdom functions. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, one of the tiniest seeds, which a man took and he sowed it in his field, and this is smaller than all the other seeds. See that? But when it's full grown... It's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Can I tell you what the kingdom of God is like? 
It was like a Savior who came and He put on flesh and He came to live and they, not, they nailed Him to a cross and they thought, we got Him. This thing is over and done with. But like a seed, He was planted in the ground. <laughs> and three days, later, three days later, He sprung up into life. A risen Savior. A King. And that King is calling people to Himself. And if you are called to Him, you are part of His kingdom. And He is operating so that what do kingdoms do? They take territory. So the kingdom of God has been taking territory ever since. He's been fighting against sin in your life, against depression in your life, against anxiety in your life, against the, the most wicked and vilest things and thoughts that you've ever had. The kingdom's been growing The kingdom's been growing. He said, I don't know. That's just one parable. He said, maybe I ought to give him two. Look at verse 33. I'm going to give you another parable. He says, he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Just takes a little bit of that, right? Which a woman took and she hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. And he did not speak to them without it. Why? Because he's looking for those who will draw in close and say, Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus, what do you mean? And when it comes to the kingdom, I want to remind you of something. The kingdom has been growing since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. Amen. It's been growing. But some of us have been watching the news. And they don't tell us where the kingdom's growing. They tell us where it's not growing. Which is fine, because we need to see where it's not growing. Because, oh, watch this one. Because <laughs> if you're a child of the king, you want to know where the kingdom's not growing. Because you know what a child of the king and an ambassador of the king will do when he finds out there's a place in the world, a place in his family, a place in his church, ooh, even a place in their own life. You know what they'll do when they find out that God's not there? They'll say, well, you know what? I'm a royal ambassador. I'll just go over there and bring the kingdom. That was better than your facial reactions. <laughs> we need to know where the kingdom is not so that the ambassadors of God will say, you know what, if the kingdom's not there, I'll go and take him there. I'll go and bring the kingdom in that place. Where there's no peace, I'll go and be peace. Where there's strife and chaos, I'll bring forgiveness. I'll go and bring the, the kingdom. Mm, that got me more excited than it got y'all. Y'all marinate on that. Isn't that what Durrell and Gray says? Y'all marinate on that. Yeah. Another, Isaiah chapter 9. Look at what the prophet says. It's a prophet Isaiah who speaks more of Christ than, than anyone, I think, other than the prophet Zechariah. And he says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he's telling about the birth of Jesus. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called... Oh, I love these. Yeah, it don't even have to be Christmas. Most of, <laughs> most of the time we read this at Christmas, but I don't need it just at Christmas. I need it all year long. I need it 365 days a year. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh, that's good news. He's a good God. We need to be reminded of that. And it says there will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. Oh, 
Hold on. What? Read that again. There will be no end to the increase of his government. The government of God, the kingdom of God, there is no end. Mm. It is a government of peace on the house, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Who's going to establish it? Jesus is. Who's going to uphold it? Jesus is. What is it going to look like? It's coming with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. What's that word? Forevermore. You know what that means? Forevermore. <laughs> the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. <laughs> it means it's not up to you. The zeal of the Lord is going to do it. We ought to take comfort in that. God, I'm overwhelmed by what I see. I'm sure you are, but the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. Don't you worry. You just do your part. God, it seems like there's so much going wrong in the world. It may look like that, but I tell you what, you just be faithful God, what God has called you to. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish His plans. Yeah. See, when I start hearing stuff like that, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not fearful anymore. In fact, I want to participate. I'm like, Lord, send me. I'll go. I want to be a part of something like that. Send, send me. Now, this may be the prettiest of all. Ephesians. Y'all still following with me, right? Yes, all right. I didn't want to lose anybody because I, I may have saved the best to last. There's this portion of Scripture. It's Ephesians. It's chapter 5. And he's talking about husbands and wives and and then all of a sudden, he starts talking about Christ in the church. And if you're not careful, you get confused. And you're like, what are we talking about? Husbands and wives are the church and Jesus. I don't know what we're doing here. But listen to what he says. Husbands, we'll start with you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Can I tell you what Jesus is doing on the earth? He's taking his church and he calls her his bride. And he is washing the church with his word. And he is making her beautiful. Because he is returning for a beautiful and spotless bride. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What is God doing? A lot of times I believe that we are made aware of the bad things that are going on in the world. And we should never try to cover them up. So let's go on. Can we just go on and say the church has done some bad stuff along the way? If you study history and you go back to Rome and you go back to the Middle Ages, the church has been involved in some of the worst cases of brutality. I mean, it was a Christian so-called Nazi Germany that killed millions of Jews. It was the Crusades that killed millions of Muslims. It has been the church that has covered up violence of pastors and priests taking advantage of small children. The church has not been spotless. <laughs> and you look at that and you say, well, things must be getting worse. I don't know. What about this? What if we are being made aware 
of all of the sins of our past and our present so that God can get our attention, so that He can take us to the Word of God and show us that that is evil and that is wrong and that is sin so that then He can take the Word and wash us and make us clean. What if that's what God's been doing? What if, and, and that'll stir up some stuff in you, won't it? Mm, has, has, has the Holy Spirit ever stirred up some stuff in you and showed you some stuff about you that you didn't like? Woo! If, if the Holy Spirit has not shown you something lately that has stirred you up and made you look at yourself and go, ooh, I don't like that at all. Because you see, this word is also a mirror. And it will show you your own junk. But the purpose of this is not to show you your own junk, to shame you or embarrass you or even to punish you. You know what Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords wants to do? He wants to be your husband. And He wants to come and wash you with the Word. <laughs> he wants to be a good husband. And come and wash that sin away. How does He do it? By confronting it with the truth. Because if you just say you're sorry. Mm, stay with me. If you just say you're sorry. But you're not confronted with the truth. And you don't see it the way God sees it. As vile and revolting as it is. You won't change. Because you'll like it. So it's a painful thing. And I can't tell you that the world isn't going to suffer some more painful things. I didn't come to you to tell you that there won't be any problems in the world. No, I think as long as there is sin on the earth, there's going to be problems on the earth. But I came to tell you what God is doing. He is coming to take His bride and wash her clean from all those things. Just real quick. this one's not going. I'm not going to charge you any extra for this, okay? This is free. I'm just throwing it in as a bonus to the message. Sometimes, particularly, I don't know if you're a man, but sometimes I struggle with this whole I'm the bride of Christ thing, you know, and it's a little weird to me. And, and, and then I preached like a week ago that, that we're the body of Christ. So you're part of Christ's body. He's the head and we're the body, and that seems a little strange too. But then you're also the, the bride of Christ, and I'm like, Lord, couldn't you have used something that strange? Mm-hmm. Larry, yeah, me too. We'll be honest, no one else is. But then let me draw your attention to this, how, how God and the Holy Spirit layers Old and New Testament to present points. How can we be the body of Christ and the bride of Christ? Mm, can I remind you of Adam and Eve? And that Eve was a part of the body of Adam. He drew Eve out of the body body of Adam. She was part of his body. And God made her his bride. Isn't that beautiful? At that point, you can call me a bride. You can call me whatever you want. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> God, you set this thing up from the beginning of time. Like this was in your heart from the very beginning that when you pulled Eve out of the side of Adam and made her 
your bride, that you were going to draw a church out and you were going to make her part of, she would be part of your body and also your bride. I'm like, I'm sold. I'm sold. Because nobody could think of a story like that. And make it work. And he made it work. And I want to go back to this thing about the kingdom expanding because this thing has sobered me, okay? And I hope that it sobers you. In Revelation, there's the story of these churches, these seven churches in Revelation. Some of you are familiar with them. And, and Jesus talks about how their, their candle can go out, their light can go out. And, and then also I start looking at Scripture, and I see Paul writing to the church at Ephesus and Galatia. and All of these churches are around that area of Turkey and the, the Mediterranean. And I look at that and I ask the question, where are those churches now? That's a good question. You ought to ask that. Somebody say, Kevin, where are those churches now? Beth, I'm glad you asked. They are a pile of rubble. The seven churches of Revelation, their light went out. The churches that Paul wrote to, their light went out. That's sobering to me. It says to us as a church, says to us as an ember, it says to me as a person, be careful. God doesn't always have to dwell with you. Your light can go out. His kingdom will advance forever. His kingdom has been advancing since the first century. It's been advancing. It's been advancing. But don't be under the misconception that you can do whatever you want to do when you want to do it and somehow your light will still stay burning because you will lose your authority. You will lose your testimony. You may lose your life. So that sobers me to say, yes, I am part of an advancing kingdom and I am glad to be a part of it. But I should not assume that I can just sit back and do whatever I want and my light will keep shining because there is no promise of that. These churches, their light went out. And someone else who said, I'll go, I'll listen, I'll be obedient, I'll follow, the Spirit of God rested on them. And that's why... Somebody told you about Jesus. Yeah. So, in all of that, I want to take us back to this thing about fear and complacency and selfishness and see if I can wind this thing down. I need some volunteers. B, will you be fear? Come up here and hold that kind of, yeah, right about there. Yep. Hmm. Y'all are on the front. It's just the way it is. Is that okay? Which one you want? You want? Let's give Baron selfish. We'll let Baron be selfish. Baron's gonna be selfish. Yours is slightly better, but maybe not so. Yours is complacency. I'm gonna slide this over. Y'all stand six feet apart and do your physical distancing. And their husband and wife, they can do whatever they want to do. Slide over that way a little bit more. So I've been watching the conversations about the end of the world going on. And it has it been producing in the people who are talking to me a great deal of fear. And I hope what you heard me preach in the message today is that it is not supposed to produce fear 
or anxiety because Scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It says be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Yes. So we're not supposed to operate in a fear. So if that has been producing fear in you, I want to break that off of you today. I want to break this fear of what is going on in the Word. I want to break that off of you today. If it has led you, I'm going to go down there to Barron, to this place where because of fear, you have said, you know what, I'm just going to take care of myself and my family. And essentially what we are saying in that is, we'll let the world be damned. Can, can I just say it like that? That's what selfishness is. It says, I don't care about anybody else. I just care about me. Does that at all sound like the Christ that we serve? Does that sound anything like the Christ who washed feet? Or the Christ that healed sick people or fed hungry people or died for the sins of the world? Does that sound like them? Does it sound like Christ? No. That's bad fruit. That's bad fruit. That's bad fruit. If we look at ourselves today and say, you know what, I've been selfish. You know what, I want to break that off of you today. It's time for that to go. Because that stuff is dangerous and it's toxic and it spreads. And if you've been any good at taking care of yourself, you can get complacent. And you go, you know what, not so bad. I'm doing pretty good. I mean, you know, when I look at all the stuff that's going on in the world, I'm actually doing great. Yeah, but that's not your standard. Christ is your standard. And as I'm looking at those things, I'm thinking, God, Christians are always supposed to come in the opposite spirit. You, you come against something in a different mindset, in a different way. I'm trying to, to read the scriptures today and show them to you in a way that says, you know what? The church is going to win. Darkness may get dark, but the church is going to prevail because Jesus promised that it would. The prophets promised that he would. Paul tells us that he will. And so we need to, we need to swap some things out and we need to operate in this new spirit. And I was like, where do I go? Well, lo and behold, all three are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. All three. The opposite spirit is right there all together. You see... When you operate in fear, you have to begin to operate in the opposite spirit, which is faith. Wow. To say, you know what, I'm not going to be afraid because I may not understand everything, but I know the one who is in charge and he is faithful. And so fear is replaced by faith because of the one who I am resting in. See, faith is about rest. It's not about striving. It's not about work. I'm going to rest in Christ. And then selfishness. I know of only one thing to counteract selfishness. And it is a biblical definition of this. Don't tell me that you love if the fruit of that love is selfishness. I'm not buying what you're selling. I'm not buying it. But there is a godly love. And it absolutely destroys selfishness. Because it has been built in faith. And it says, you know what? I'm good. I'm okay. 
God has, 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 is providing for me. I have everything I need. And now I can look outside myself woo, at other people and go, you know what? They need something. And I have it. And so I'll give it away. What does that mean? If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink of water. If they're in prison, go and visit them. Why? Because when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. God says, you're looking just like my son Jesus now. You're looking just like my son Jesus. You're not being selfish anymore. You're loving and you're giving your life away and you're washing feet and you're ministering to people. You're looking just like me. You're loving well. And then complacency. Some of us have gotten stuck there and we're just rocking along. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's not standing still. He's always moving. You ever notice that in the Bible? He says, come and follow me. He doesn't sit around and wait very long. He keeps moving. What is it that breaks complacency? But hope. It is the thing that in the teaching of end times, I think that we have lost, which is hope that God is going to do it. That God is going to win. That God is going to redeem all those who call upon the name of the Lord. So what does 1 Corinthians say? But of these three, faith, hope, and love, abide these three. Wow. Now, I want to pray over you right now. Will you stand up? Chris, will you come? I want you to sing that garden to graveyard to garden. I about said it wrong. I got it. You know what I mean. He's not going to sing it backwards. I got you, man. I got you. But I want to just, I want to pray and I want us to be a church who operates, who abides until Christ comes. When is Christ coming? I don't know. I don't know. In fact, a lot of scripture says you won't know. He's going to surprise you. And anybody who tells you, hey, I know when Christ is coming, don't even bother. Don't even have a conversation. Just do this. Abide in faith, hope, and love. And you're going to be just fine. If you abide in faith, hope, and love, the church is going to be just fine. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, anybody who has been experiencing a fear, a spirit of fear because of this pandemic or loss of uh, employment, maybe they've lost uh, the place to, to stay because of that. Maybe they're afraid for their kids because of the uncertainty of the world that is around us. Father, we want to just say in the name of Jesus that you would do a supernatural uh, deliverance, Lord. Deliver them from fear and deliver them into faith. That, Lord, that they could rest in you again. That some would say, God, I don't know why I took all that on me to begin with. God, you haven't changed. You're still faithful. You're still going to do all the things that you said you were going to do. Father, I just want to rest in you. I pray you would give those people rest for the ones who have been dealing with selfishness. Lord, it may be a painful place right now. It, it may have hurt their feelings. It may have hurt their pride. But if they look honestly, there may be somebody who was here or listening on Facebook that needed to hear that fear had made us selfish. 
But Lord, you don't ever leave us there. That, that grace comes. And grace says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then how are we to live, God, but to, to live as those who love? You've given us the example, Lord, that we would just love. So turn our hearts back to loving. And God, if I might be so bold as to ask even this, to turn our hearts back to loving people that don't deserve love. Ooh. God, turn our hearts to love the people who don't even seem to deserve love because when you loved us, when you died for us, we were in that same spot. That, Lord, that's where you found us. We were far from you. We were, we were enemies, and yet you loved us. Oh, Lord, give us that kind of love. And then, Father, if we've been complacent, Lord, I pray that you have stirred up something today inside of us that builds up hope. That says that there is a, an end time coming and it'll be a harvest. And we want to see everyone we know come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So, Father, give us hope for our lost family. If we lost hope in them, let us breathe hope again, Lord. God, that the truth would turn them. God, give us hope for this community that as we look, we wouldn't say, oh, it's just, it's just getting worse all the time. There's nothing we can do. Oh, give us something to do, Lord. Give us something to do. Give us, give us hope. Stir up hope inside of us again. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but hope realized is like a tree of life. Oh, Lord, let us have hope again that we might move as the body of Christ, that we might move out of this paralysis that we've been in, that has caused us to sit and do nothing. God, take us out of that and let us be like that man who was uh, carried to you and let down through the ceiling who couldn't walk. And you said to him, your sins are forgiven. Rise up and walk. Oh God, let your church rise up and walk again. Jesus, we receive your gift of faith, hope, and love. 